0: Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. The Hoop Collective with Brian Winhurst focuses on life in and around the NBA. Twice a week, Brian is joined by ESPN NBA insiders, including Tim McMahon and Tim Bontemps every Friday. The Hoop Collective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. Also, ESPN's award-winning 30 for 30 documentary film series presents the greatest mixtape ever. The story of how a series of streetball videos set to music in the 90s transformed basketball's place in the culture, defined the lives of the players who starred in them, and changed the game itself forever. Starting June 1st, stream on ESPN Plus and listen to the companion 30 for 30 podcast, a streetball mixtape, exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the right time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us 5 stars. You only give us 4 stars, I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, oh, we already got an NBA free agency story. We're going to look at 50 years of Title IX and also your stories about your reckless friends. But first, Mm -hmm. all right, so when we did Foxworth Friday, which airs on Friday, you may have guessed, we record that on Thursday morning. So game six of the NBA finals hadn't transpired yet. So we couldn't really talk about it. So it's time for me to now talk about it. And I, you know, tried to preemptively take some of my lumps about the Warriors not winning. And I don't know, man, maybe some warrior heard it because of them had nothing to say about it to me. Because, you know, they was going at everybody, dog. What I found to be so fascinating about the post championship for the Warriors is how much time they spent thinking about what we had to say about them clearly they took all of that in clearly they saw every clip they even came and brought it to my man Foxworth because him and the crew had done the thing with the zeros over their eyes about how many more NBA finals Steph Curry was going to go to. Now, I would have told Foxworth on a pro tip, though I think he cool. He don't really mind these sorts of things. Just say it. Don't, don't, don't give them nothing they can take a picture of, dog. I'd be out here with this podcast, Jokers harvesting little bits of it every chance they get. Nah, don't give them a picture. But man, they gave him a picture so the picture was everywhere. But you know, Dominique ain't tripping on that. So he is good. Now, on my end, I said it all year long. It turned out not to be correct. I don't think it was unreasonable. But my thing was, I couldn't think of a team that I had ever seen that was able to play for tomorrow and play for today at the same time. I also could not recall a team that was trying to keep its core together for 10 straight years without adding somebody that you would legitimately consider to be part of the core in those 10 years and still manage to win a championship. I ran through examples. I did all of that. The Warriors, as is their wont, don't give a damn about what I think about any of these matters. Yeah, yeah, it's just not them. That's just not. That's just not taking siren, man. They, they, they not, they not into that sort of thing. And they pulled this off. Like when Joe Lacob a few years ago said they were light years ahead of everybody else and it felt so terribly arrogant. The fact that they won a championship with these guys is probably the greatest affirmation of what he had to say. Cause everybody had time to catch up and the Warriors even had time to regress back to where the rest of the league was. And they still won a championship, right? They won the championship with Steph Curry showing up in a particular way like I don't recall having seen before. Like, I'm not going to rattle off all the stats for you. You can go ahead and find them. This was inarguably one of the greatest finals performances that we have ever seen. There's no way around it. And it came not just with the actual execution, but also with an aesthetic that I think for what we're talking about in terms of people being champions and stuff was highly relatable. That looked like a dude that decided they wasn't going to lose, right? He looked like that in game four. He looked like that in game six. Draymond Green showed up in game six. Like a dude had decided I'm not going to come out here and embarrass myself again, and he did not even though clay thompson was five for 457 in the course of that game it didn't really matter they were the grown-ups in the room they were the champions and they showed up in boston like we are champions and these little dudes over here ain't ready and at just about every turn Those little dudes over there didn't look ready. Jason Tatum, clearly not ready. Jalen Brown, as ready as he could be. And I appreciated the fact that when it was time to get buckets, Jalen Brown was like, look, I got to go to the rack, even though that dude ain't even really good at dribbling, right? But at some point, you got to look at what's going on at the other side and say, hey, we got to go get some easy buckets. We got to get as close to the rim as we can. We got to hold on to the ball because, of course, the Celtics did all the turnover stuff and everything else. But they didn't win because those other guys decided they were going to. Like, I'm not exactly sure what Boston could have done in game six to win that game. Like, I feel like if Boston has showed up and played the best game that they could have, it still probably winds up shaking out very similarly. Not to the margins that were there. But probably very, very similarly because the champs were there and the champs decided they were going to make it happen, even though the champs are kind of old. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Now, what is interesting to me about the way that we handle playoffs and everything else, at least in terms of what has become the public discourse about basketball, is we're not good at staying in moments right we have always got to get ready to take this to some step in the future or into some look into the past or whatever it is right so you think about after the first round of the playoffs we got ourselves in this situation where you had the anointment of jason tatum as superstar that clearly was premature For us to do right but it's just like oh man we can't just actually talk about the basketball that was played everything has to be in this historical context like we are always in a rush to be the first person or the first people to declare that history was made or declare that there was some inflection point that it transpired even though you typically need a bunch of data to like really know whether that is what happened and so this is what we've done immediately in the aftermath with steph curry is now all of a sudden after they win this championship, now we got to figure out where exactly does he stand on the list of all-time players, right? I saw Jason Williams and Kendrick Perkins. If they wasn't on satellite, man, they looked like they was about to scrap it out because Kendrick Perkins didn't have Steph in his top 10. And then now that Steph had got that dub, um, he put him in his top four right now all of a sudden this becomes a thing because these are the things that everybody's doing i can't speak for you like my buddy nick he's over there on his podcast the what's right podcast and he's doing his top 50 players of the last 50 years he's put in research he's been working on this for years this has been his thing he gives those things a lot of thought i do not i typically hang on you give me two people i'll tell you which one i'll take i'm just not in a position to keep a running list so when cats go to sleep after watching game six, and then they wake up, and then the television producer is like, all right, so it's stuff in your top 10. Yo, I can't imagine trying to put together a top 10 fast enough to get them some answers. And I know this, because on Instagram right now, I am participating in the, uh, uh, for Naima. Naima does the, the music sermon account, at music sermon. Go check it out. But for Black Music Month, which is June, she does a prompt every day, and it's name a song that's this. Name your favorite song, whatever it is. And I ain't lying to you, man. That should be making my brain ready to explode. Like, you want to know my favorite or the top or whatever it was out of all the music in the world? Man, I've been sitting there looking at my phone trying to figure out what to do. And then one of the props was, uh, what's the blackest song you know? And, you know, never mind the whole, what that even mean. But, okay, what's the blackest song you know? You know how many black-ass songs I know? The EST? That's hard, man. Black songs is, is prevalent. They're everywhere to be found. You know what I'm saying? So I finally just settled on pick up the pieces by the average white band and just shrug my shoulders at it. Like, yeah, that's just what I'm going to do, man. I'm just throwing stuff out there. It's whatever. It's hard. It's hard. But these producers be trying to have us out here putting together a whole list and not just producers, you jerks. You people sitting out here listening to this, just jumping in somebody's mentions. Hey, man, what's your top 10 Stevie Wonder songs? Damn, you want that for free? Like, you're not, no pay, not a raise or supplement from ESPN when they ask all these questions. I can't really do that, right? But that's the move that we have to make. We immediately have to jump into whether or not this is some sort of referendum on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant left three years ago. The Warriors missed the playoffs two straight years without Kevin Durant. Man, see, they ain't need Kevin Durant to win no championship. Let me ask you this. They won this championship this year, right? Okay. They won this with Klay Thompson coming back after missing almost three years of basketball. They won it with him not playing especially well. Now, in that Kevin Durant sign and trade, they got D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell goes to Minnesota. They get back Andrew Wiggins in a first round pick. First round pick turns into Kaminga, da-da-da-da-da, right? like You see how that all played out but they added Andrew Wiggins. Now, because of our fascination with narratives, it also has become a, see, y'all was wrong about Andrew Wiggins. If Andrew Wiggins was playing like he was playing for anybody else in the league and making $30 million a year, y'all wouldn't be talking this, okay? Like, I look up and I'm like, man, Andrew Wiggins, such a great contributor on offense. Andrew Wiggins got 16 points on 14 shots in that half. I looked up at halftime, a game six. Andrew Wiggins, I want to say, had 10 points on 11 shots. You know what that is? The same sort of stuff that Andrew Wiggins did in Minnesota, right? Now, where I would say the difference came in, and this is not to say that he did not make a significant contribution to the Warriors, where the difference came in from what I could see was the intensity and going out there and getting those rebounds, like the way that he was guarding Jason Tatum. Like, those were the things that came in. Those were the things that mattered. But so much of it was still Andrew Wiggins looking like Andrew Wiggins. And to me, Andrew Wiggins not looking like somebody I want to pay no $30 million a year to, right? Right? But the magnitude and majesty of Steph Curry just cleans all of this stuff up, right? But with Durant and the referendum we try to make on Durant. So let's say that the Warriors had Kevin Durant last year, right? You got Steph Curry playing at a legitimate MVP level and Kevin Durant, who was doing very similar things last year with the Nets you telling me that team wouldn't have a chance to win a championship? Or at the very least, you telling me that team doesn't make the playoffs? Because they didn't make the playoffs last year, okay? you telling me that that team doesn't make the playoffs? Because I think that team makes the playoffs, all right? Them winning a championship in 2022 without Kevin Durant doesn't really have anything to do with Kevin Durant, especially since... I don't think Kevin Durant thought that leaving the Warriors meant that he was going to a team that had a better chance at winning a championship. I don't think that anybody thought that that was the case for Kevin Durant. He just didn't want to work there no more, right? Like he doesn't seem to have any beef with the cast that he used to work with. They do each other's podcasts and stuff like that. He just didn't want to play there anymore. This ain't got nothing grand to do with him or any sort of mistake he made or the idea, man, see, the Warriors didn't even really need him. Hey, man, they still paid him a boatload of money to come up there. They still really, really wanted him to play for their team. Whether they needed him or not doesn't make Kevin Durant any less Kevin Durant. He's still who he is. And for my money, still a better player than anybody that the Warriors have. And that's not an insult to anybody on the Warriors roster. He's just Kevin Durant. Like, I've never seen a situation where people feel the need to try to run down a dude that good. Right? Like, he is in the space of good where I just feel like a lot of it is inarguable. Yeah, I know that he brought it on himself with the way that he went to Golden State, the way things went that last year, everything else. I understand where all y'all are coming from talking about that. But nothing about this season has to do with Kevin Durant. It has everything to do with the actual Warriors. It has everything to do with Steph Curry. And this is the thing I want to say about Steph that I think gets kind of lost in all of this. Has there been a better NBA player, his size or smaller? Can you think of a six foot three player? As good as Steph Curry. And I think they may list him officially as 6'2. But like this is the thing we talk about with like the Isaiah Thomas's and the Allen Iversons, right? Like the, for lack of a better term, pound for pound sort of thing. Who at Steph's size is Steph? Has the impact that Steph has, right? You know, and I got into trouble with the people when I was trying to make the point about him as system player, which I was trying to say the wild thing is he really is the system though, right? Like there's a system that goes around him and everything else, but it only exists because he exists. It's not like you can plug somebody else into it and then they replicate the results of it, right? What they are exists because he exists. I do think there's a back and forth between those two things that you wind up with. He is that guy, okay? Probably. Or he's got a strong argument. Maybe top fifteen players of all time. I know people are putting him in ten. I am reluctant to do that just because for me, Bob Ryan made a point once many years ago, and I think he was correct. You got to put the centers over here, and you got to put everybody else over there. So, like, it's hard for me to think about. Like, am I going to say that Steph Curry is a better player than Akeem Olajuwon? And you could argue that in today's game, maybe he is. I don't know, but nah, that's 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 just a very difficult. Thing for me to say like am I going to say he's a better player than Tim Duncan who Tim Duncan at a point was probably the best defensive player in the NBA that's a difficult thing for me to say like the impact that a good a big who is excellent offensively and excellent defensively that's an impact that's very difficult to have in any other position in the game and so I don't know how you easily and readily make a comparison like how do you make the comparison between what the best of Steph Curry was versus like the best of what Moses Malone was I just don't have a great answer for how it is that you do it. And so that's why I'm not nearly as lost right now in trying to get into the history of Steph in that kind of way. But I can look at it and just say, tell me who it is. I don't have it, right? I don't get it. Who is it at that size? Who could score as effectively as he could While also being as good a passer as he is. Because that's the thing I think he doesn't get enough credit for. I don't think he's a great distributor necessarily. Or like guy to run the offense. Like he's not Chris Paul who's coming up and diagnosing everything that might happen. And figuring out who this other guy is to get the ball to and all that stuff. He ain't that guy. But as a passer. He's bananas. Been to bananas at it since Davidson. When he was hitting them dudes in the face. You know throwing them passes they didn't even think was possible. Like we can go through all of this. And I think. He didn't become a better player because of the way he performed in this series. I did think that the way that he performed in these finals was different than the performances that he'd had before. I do think that it's a nice thing to put on the resume, right? A nice thing to put on the list of accomplishments. It's a great bullet point to have, right? It doesn't mean that he's something completely different than he'd been before, but I do think there's something to the idea that he pointed out some things that even though we thought he was cold as hell that we may not have necessarily realized. But we can lean in on all those things without needing to disparage anybody else or somehow make this anything else, right? I get it. They they read all the tweets, they saw all the stuff, they wanted to the pop their. They got all the people, 100% understand. Don't really blame them. A little surprising, given how much they had accomplished. But I think the thing that they would look at and say on the other side is, we well, given how much we accomplished, how y'all try to run us down like that. Got it, right? It all comes together, but. I remember coming away from the 2019 finals, maybe more impressed by the Warriors than I had been in any other postseason before because I watched Klay Thompson tear his ACL and get up and try to shoot the free throws. I watched them win that game five after that had happened. Like, I just felt like I watched those dudes get up off the ground and decide, we not giving it up here. We not giving it up now. It ain't gonna happen like that. And they gave us a very, very similar performance, except this time it resulted in a ring. And this time it really was all about one of the defining players of his era. Give them all the flowers. They've earned them all. Nothing they do after this can affect them negatively in my eyes. Perhaps they can do things that'll get them into a more positive place. But they earned all the good things that they ought to say. I just wish they had less annoying fans. My goodness gracious. Ain't anything, man. Ain't nobody got more fans that didn't start watching basketball until this team got good than the Warriors do. And that's not everybody, right? Because Oakland's still deep in this, but they're not the ones who tweet at me. You know what I'm saying? They're not the ones that wind up in my mentions. Those folks, i be looking at them like, so tell me something else about basketball. Like, they remind me of the people that's like, yeah, but that was the greatest rapper of all time. Who's number two? Well, I love all rap. I mean, it's no damn rap. That's how I be feeling sometimes. But that ain't got nothing to do with Steph. It is not his fault that we got to deal with the jerks. Steph, I don't hold those people against you. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass, subscription required. All right, so getting ready to do the podcast today. I was going to talk about Juneteenth and the way Juneteenth is being dealt with and uh, celebrated in the masses. Happy Juneteenth, by the way. Anyway, I have had a frustration with Juneteenth which I think I told you guys before, like when the Juneteenth first became a thing that people are like, yo, how do you feel about, you know, like, you know, Black People Celebration now being the public domain for white people? I'm like, man, as a Texan. I didn't know y'all, we was even allowing y'all to get down at this at all. I honestly had no idea. Like I didn't, okay, so this is what everybody's doing. Okay, cool. So then I look up at the television and, you know, various people got their Juneteenth packages, ESPN has theirs or whatever and again as a texan i've been to quite a few juneteenth celebrations right been to quite a few juneteenth parties at the ones i went to i'm not saying this don't happen at none of them i'm just telling you at the ones that i went to let me tell you a word that i never heard ancestors you want to know some words i did here brisket watermelon soda Maybe even fireworks. Cause we was just kicking it. We was just kicking it. Gay, okay, 4th of July coming up, right? That's in a few days. Okay. At your house. Do you guys plan to read the Declaration of Independence? Y'all go do a prayer in the name of Thomas Jefferson? No. No, yeah, you're not going to do that. Nobody going to do that, right? Like, it doesn't have to be so damn serious. Like, my dad always says it's about holidays, man. It's a day off and a chance to kick it, and so we just going to kick it. And that's how I look at Juneteenth. But I also understand it's this day and age and everything else. But everything got to be so damn solemn. And that is not what summer holidays are. Summer holidays are not the solemn ones. we supposed to be out here kicking it. But I was also thinking to myself, I wonder what Kyrie Irving doing on Juneteenth. Just curious, just just curious, like what his Juneteenth party or celebration is. If he even gets down like that, right? He may have some conspiratorial explanation as to why it is that he doesn't engage in such things. Like that's just not that's just not really what he's doing. I don't know. But I had that thought, and then as I was having that thought about, I wonder what Kyrie doing for Juneteenth. Somebody sent me a text message and was like, "Yo, check this out." And apparently, Kyrie Irving is at what is termed an impasse with the Nets about his next contract. This is from uh, Sham Sharania of The Athletic that the Nets have reached an impasse. And so, you know, I did a little inquiry, figured some things out, and this is going to surprise you, but it seems that the front office with the Nets just really isn't that wild about Kyrie Irving. Isn't that something, right? This is my question let's say Kyrie becomes a free agent because he's got this player option so he can opt in to 39 million dollars if he so chooses or he can come out here and see what he can get as a free agent okay let's say that he comes out here as a free agent let's say that that's an option have you seen evidence that Kyrie Irving significantly affects winning right now, I'm not saying that he's a you-can't-win-with-him type because he didn't get that ring out of a crackerjack box, right? Like, he got it. He earned it. He had one of the biggest shots in NBA history, all of that stuff. But is the impact that he has on court as it relates to winning in line with the cost that comes with him off court when it comes to winning? And let's be clear. There is a cost. It is there. Would you be out here trying to pay Kyrie Irving $40 million a year or whatever it's going to take in order to get him? Because like one lesson that you can take from the Deshaun Watson situation in the NFL, and I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that these two guys are the same kind of problem if they're problems. I don't want any confusion about that. I'm not equivocating the two of them. But what I am saying about Watson is with all that stuff hanging over him, everything that's in the air, everything that could possibly go wrong with him, he's still so good that there are going to be enough people out there that he gets like the biggest guarantee that I can think of a quarterback getting or a player in the NFL getting. In spite of everything that could go wrong, in spite of how he could mess the program up for you, he's just that good, and so there are going to be people there, and so then the forces of competition are going to dictate you got to give him a real deal. You ain't going to get no discount deal for Kyrie. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not you're not going to be able to go out there and be like, well, you know, you really were a handful in that last place. How'd you like uh, two years for $30 million with a second year as a team option? Nope, 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 nope. That's not going to happen. If you're going to get him, you're going to have to pony up. And I just can't imagine how it would feel to get that dude all that money and then have to put up with everything that comes with him. I personally would have a hard time seeing that. And so the Athletic was saying that the Lakers might be an option for Kyrie, that the Knicks might be an option for Kyrie. And look, for the Knicks, I could see why they would do it because Kyrie, if nothing else, would wind up being instant relevance. But if he comes to Madison Square Garden and does the stuff that he was doing at the Barclays Center and they don't win, brother, that ain't going to fly. This is that, this, the, Nets, the Nets play here. The Knicks are from here. It ain't the same thing okay but what if he goes to the lakers that's right gabe you're a lakers fan how would you feel about the prospect of adding kyrie irving
1: presumably you'd be dropping russell westbrook in this scenario but how would you feel i would prefer if the stories to follow around my basketball team were around basketball
0: That's the thing. That's what you would wind up with. Can you imagine being LeBron James in your 20th year in the NBA and you back to putting up with Kyrie?
1: I mean, so obviously any Kyrie to the Lakers move would have to be endorsed by LeBron. Correct. Why would he want to sign up for that at this stage in his career? So
0: the All-Star game when it was in Los Angeles a couple years ago, was it 2019? I think, I think it was 2019. 18 or 19, one of the two. I was there. And interestingly enough i was sitting in nipsey hustle's box yeah yeah i had a partner who had a partner who worked with uh marathon stuff and nipsey only dropped in for like a moment right but yeah i was like in nipsey's box watching this but the box was on the baseline and it was you know they do the big production you know for the all-star intros and everything else And so my seat was behind the stage. So I could see the backstage stuff. And so this, in fact, it must have been 18. And I say it must have been 18 because I feel like the LeBron Kyrie, for lack of a better term, beef, was still like at top of mind with Kyrie leaving Cleveland. And I watched those dudes and they was joking up like old homies. You know what I mean? Like whatever it was before, I think they're okay with, or at least LeBron thinks that, you know, they look to be friendly in that time. And I even remember when Kyrie was saying that he wanted to leave, he was still very complimentary of LeBron, right? Like it just felt like this isn't a situation that he wants to be in. And playing with LeBron James comes with a lot, but it doesn't necessarily mean the dude's got beef with LeBron James. So I could see them, like LeBron looking at it as like, yeah, we cool now. We could wind up playing together. And LeBron looking at it as, look, I run the offense and Kyrie winds up where I think he's best, which is playing off the ball, which is also a conclusion I think the Nets came to once they got James Harden. Like, I can see the ways that LeBron could talk himself into this. But dog, can you imagine? You got to deal with Anthony Davis and Kyrie. How many games the two of them going to play put together? Like, did you see this the other day? I was watching uh, First Take. And J.J. Redick had come on and said the thing that he knows about Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis only plays if he's 100%. Yeah, he was like, if Anthony Davis isn't good, and that was the word he used, but he said if Anthony Davis isn't all the way right, then he doesn't play, which is how you can wind up with Anthony Davis missing so many games over the years. Okay, so Anthony Davis, that's his get down. Now you add Kyrie Irving, and I say this, I know I bring this up a lot, I just don't know why more people don't how people don't remember that time that he decided that he needed personal time and coincidentally it was his birthday. You're going to deal with that? You're going to deal with all of that. Say what you want about Russ, but the dude show up. And that to me is always more valuable than anything else. Do you show up? The dude always shows up. And so if you're the Lakers, who have to be incredibly desperate at this point, because LeBron plus Anthony Davis plus whatever else they have does not equal championship. I don't think so. And next year, I think the West is fairly wide open. All right. And I say that because while the Warriors won this championship, I just don't think it's reasonable to expect for Steph year 14 draymond who's got to be 32 33 clay thompson who will be in year like 12 or 30 you know like 12 30 like somewhere in there right you don't get better right jordan Poole might get better andrew wiggins might get better kaminga might get better they will add james wiseman which is a thing that i think will help make them better i'm still on the james wiseman train. This isn't a champion that I feel like you're looking at, and now they go come out and start the year like 25 and three. You know, I just I just don't see that team there. Memphis, as well as they played last year, is still Ja and the rest of those dudes are. I don't even know if they low spades. Like they kind of high other other cards, diamonds, hearts. You know, we get them. Denver's going to bring Jamal Murray back from injury. They're going to bring Michael Porter back from injury. We will see what Dallas ultimately does. Uh, Phoenix, I would not bet on DeAndre Ayton coming back. And I don't know how exactly that all works out. And Chris Paul ain't getting no younger and everything else. But you go up and down to West, there's teams that you could look at and it's good reason to think that they're going to get better. There's teams that were near the top that you think there's good reason for them to get worse. I don't think anybody is going to be like a truly dominant juggernaut type of team. That's going to be hard to pull off in the NBA. They said they wanted parity. They got it. It's gone a little better than I expected it to. Oh, Kawhi Leonard's coming back, even though we have no idea what he's going to look like after another significant knee injury, right? If you're the Lakers, at once, there's enough competition to force you into making a big move, one could argue. But also, there's enough uncertainty to tempt you into making a big swing because you think you can win the West if you make the right call. And the one thing I will say for Kyrie Irving that I couldn't say for James Harden, that I couldn't say for Kevin Durant, that I honestly can't say for any of those guys on the Warriors. I don't think Kyrie is necessarily on the other side of the top of the hill because he's younger than these guys, right? So I think Kyrie now is like just turning 30. He's looked as good as a player in the last couple of years that we've seen him as any other time that I've seen him play when he plays right like i don't notice any evidence of decline from him and maybe that's just because he was never very good at defense right cuz like when i look at the evidence of decline from kevin durant the evidence is on the defensive end now maybe it had like the way boston played him and shut him down maybe that wouldn't happen before but like i see the decline from him on defense with steph it's not quite the video game that he used to be with lebron it's obviously a defensive situation and he's just not as explosive as he used to be you know but i can go look at so many of those guys that's in that echelon of the league and just be like, hey, I don't know about this. James Harden, obviously, we see what the decline is there. I don't feel like that about Kyrie. Like, I feel like Kyrie is still kind of at the peak of whatever his powers are. And his powers are considerable. But I think he's still kind of at the peak of that. That might trick you into making that really bad move of deciding, I'm going to bring Kyrie Irving onto this team. Because the thing you got to remember about Kyrie, he ain't been happy nowhere he went. Although I guess he hasn't been unhappy with the Nets. To be fair, he just couldn't play for that stretch. But he was unhappy in Cleveland before LeBron got there. Totally understandable, just to be clear. But unhappy after LeBron got there. Then unhappy when he was in Boston. Then didn't seem to be like the happiest with the Nets. But again, perhaps not unhappy. Now I can make the argument, I'd have been unhappy in Cleveland the first go around. I could see why you would be unhappy with Cleveland in the second part of that run with LeBron. I could see why you'd be unhappy playing in Boston. I could see all those things. All I'm saying is, it's everywhere with him. Not everybody is unhappy in all these places. He is unhappy in all of them. You look at the constant. And then you ask yourself, is that something that you feel like dealing with? Is it worth the squeeze? And I'm not sure that it is. But look, man, we're going to find out. And what's wild about it is while I think it may not be a good idea for the Lakers it ain't a great idea for the Nets either except what other play do they have maybe they could find a way to do a sign and trade and they get somebody else there but you end up making Kevin Durant unhappy and he ain't going to be happy if this plays out the way it's playing I just I don't know if anybody's going to win in the end in the Kyrie situation and sadly that also
2: includes Kyrie We know you can't be on top of all the news and information
1: of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bomani. So this month marks the 50th anniversary of Title IX, which was a law that was enacted to foster equality in college athletics we thought it might be a good idea to show how Title IX is still very much at the forefront of things today, the sorts of impacts that it's made along the way and what its future is here on the show. So our three stories today are all Title IX related. Here is our first.
3: This is Neil Payne of 538. You know, most sports fans have heard of Title IX, but they may not know exactly what it is. And in fact, sports was never really intended to be the primary focus of the legislation which celebrates its 50th anniversary this month. All it did in 37 words was prohibit sex-based discrimination in federally funded schools or education programs. But the effect that it ended up having on sports was profound and was really one of the early ways in which the law was manifested. In 1971, the year before Title IX was passed, there were fewer than 300,000 girls participating in high school sports in the entire US. This is at least according to data from the National Federation of State High School Associations. That number compared with the number of boys participating was just 8%. So there were really few athletic opportunities for girls really into the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. And that also was reflected in college sports. But within just a year of Title IX being passed, participation in girls' sports rose by 178% to more than 800,000. And in the first decade that it was in place, it rose by 100% year over year, roughly. So after a decade, girls' participation was 53% that of boys'. This closed the gap in participation and opportunities, but it took longer and longer for things to reach some level of parity. For instance, right now, that number is 75%, or at least it was before the COVID-19 pandemic. And in college, it's even higher. It's 88%. Now, some factors are going to keep it from ever becoming 100% potentially just because of football. And football has incredibly large rosters compared with any sport that girls participate in. And football has really been at the crux of a lot of the controversies and debates around Title IX and how schools should be compliant within it. And that has led to some of the issues that we see in terms of resource allocation. The law states that there should be equal opportunities, but it doesn't ever mandate that there should be equal revenue allocated or equal financial support allocated between men's and women's sports. And we still see that to this day. For instance, there are 1.1 women enrolled in college for every man. And that number is increasing with every year. There are a lot more women than men in college. And yet, if we look at athletic participation, it still lags behind parity and expenses and salaries even lag well behind. Compare total athletic expenses in Division I schools for women versus men's sports, it's only 50%. And in terms of head coach salaries, it's only 43%. So Title IX has allowed women's sports to come a long way. It's forced schools to give some semblance of equal opportunity between women and men's sports, but there are a lot of things that still need to be done.
0: So. One thing I have always said about women's participation in sports and why it is important to have these avenues for women to like and by participate in sports, I mean participate as athletes and why it becomes so important is. Sports is one of the few things that we can like all agree upon, right? Like just about across the board, we believe that sports are a virtuous thing. And I'm talking about sports just as an idea before we start talking about all the money and business and everything that else that comes with it. I'm just talking about strictly athletic competitions, right? On the bottom, at the top, in between, just about everybody sees the virtues of this and how it makes our society a better place and it can make people better, right? We see all of those things, but what winds up happening is if we only talk about men's sports and we only have men's sports there, how can women participate? And the truth is just about every level that we've created for women to participate in men's sports are as ornamentor, as decoration, right? As something that is just kind of around the game. But the truth is women want to not all but certainly a significant number because like not all men want to participate in sports but i imagine you want to be part of what's cool and playing sports has a cool element to it that has also over the years ultimately become gender neutral you got to have more than just being cheerleader as an option because all the other virtuous things that we talk about that you can get out of sports as a participant and make you a better person then you also depriving women of those things too if you don't create actual avenues for women to like legitimately participate in the competitions so as it relates to sports title IX was huge 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 in that regard because beyond taking women from being spectators only it also took away simply being decoration right just there to make the men look good That's probably the biggest change that you needed to have or wound up having because the last thing this world needs is telling women one more time that all there is for them to do is go stand behind
1: that dude. This next story talks a little bit about violations of Title IX in present day.
4: This is Nancy Armour with USA Today Sports. Ahead of the 50th anniversary of Title IX, we decided to take a look at how schools are still shortchanging their women athletes, what they need to do to become better in terms of Title IX compliance or to actually fulfill the intent of the law as well as the letter of the law. We first in March took a look at spending disparities, how much more schools are spending on their male athletes when it comes to travel and recruiting and equipment. And what we found was that for every dollar spent on men, there was just 71 cents spent on women. Next, we looked at how schools are getting around compliance with Title IX, how they are using kind of fuzzy math to make it look as if they have more female athletes than they do. Some of these tricks are allowed, but it is things like counting male practice players for women's basketball as female athletes. It's taking one female track athlete and counting her three times, saying that she competes in both indoor and outdoor track and cross country, whereas a male track athlete is only counted once. When you take these things together, these manipulations... We found that schools created 3,600 additional participation opportunities without actually creating a new team, which is not what Title IX was intended to do. We also looked at what schools would have to do to get into compliance. And what we found was that the 110 schools that we looked at would need to add a total of 11,501 female roster spots to close the participation gaps. Now, when you spread that out over 110 schools, that's an average of 104 per school, which is basically the equivalent of creating a football-sized team for women, which football doesn't exist. So you'd have to find other ways to do that, which schools are not doing. And quite frankly, they're not even trying.
0: And this, when I hear that reminds me of NFL stuff with like hiring black coaches, If you were trying to find a way around the rule rather than to honor the spirit of it, I can just only conclude that you don't care. That's it. You just don't care. And I have been critical over years of the idea that these revenue sports primarily played by black men are used to subsidize these non-revenue sports primarily played by white people. But I guess we should say primarily played by white men, because they look at every reason in the world not to give the money to the like to the sports that women play. And even in cases where like for basketball, for example, I believe that there's a value in funding and heavily subsidizing women's basketball. If for no other reason than if you engage women as participants again, rather than simply as spectators, you're probably going to create more fans, like people who absolutely have to watch the next game or whatever it is. You're gonna make more of them that way. By doing that, like that's, again, to me, a great value in the support of that is even if you want to be cynical about it, this will probably positively contribute back to the bottom line for a whole bunch of reasons. But the truth is they don't want to do that. That's just not something that they're interested in. The stories that were terrible where you talk about the NCAA tournament and the difference in accommodations between the men's tournament and women's tournament for the participants. And yes, you are absolutely correct person over there. Well, the men's tournament makes so much more money than the women's tournament does. Dude, you're totally right. And they could also figure out something in the budget to find a way to do better by these women in these tournaments. And as I always say, you can always start by looking at the salaries of the people way at the top. I bet they could find something to make the gift bags nicer out of that money. Bet they could.
1: All right, so this last story talks about what Title IX's future is in terms of possible changes to the law, which could be coming up here this month.
5: I'm Bianca Quilantan, and I'm Politico's education reporter. The Biden administration is expected to overhaul former education secretary Betsy DeVos's rule that mandates how schools and colleges must respond to reports of sexual misconduct. The Biden administration's rule, however, will also codify protections for transgender students for the first time in Title IX, a federal education law that prohibits sex-based discrimination. This is perhaps the education department's most closely watched initiative and its biggest legal target, especially because of the groundbreaking move to codify protections for sexual orientation and gender identity. Several states across the country have passed dozens of laws in the last three years restricting the rights of transgender people, including access to gender-affirming care, using bathrooms that match their gender identity, and playing on sports teams. Some state attorneys general in conservative states are already threatening to sue over the rule, and there are some concerns on how well this will even protect transgender students. A key step to inclusion is using someone's pronouns. But in the courts, we're already seeing an uptick in lawsuits challenging that. School teachers and college professors have been suing on the grounds that using pronouns they don't agree with violates their First Amendment rights to free speech and the exercise of their religion. And one circuit court has already sided with them. While the administration has yet to announce when it will unveil its proposed rule, more than 200 education and civil rights groups have pressed president joe biden to release the law by the 50th anniversary on june 23rd the rule was supposed to drop in april but the education department officials told me last week that they still intend to unveil the proposal this month
0: i just want to make a point about the laws that we see going around about transgender athletes and all of these things I do believe that there is a discussion that needs to be had and I don't know how exactly to have it because we are a collective are really bad at talking about these things. Right. But I do think that there's a discussion to be had because I think that there are some ideas that some people think are flatly common sense. And that the idea of a transgender woman participating in women's sports, for example, it runs counter to that where they are. Now, you may think the explanation of that is simple and like, oh my gosh, how do these people not know that? But a significant majority of the population doesn't for whatever reason, right? And so I do think there's a discussion that's going to need to be had to actually advance what we have going on here. But what's going on with these laws is they're just really being used by politicians, right? Like it's just something to rally the base around, basically, is how we get here. And if you have not seen it, when they tried to get one of these laws passed in Utah, the governor of Utah vetoed it. All right. I need you to stop and think about what I just said here. The governor of Utah, right? We're not talking about some out in Berkeley, you know, the governor of Utah vetoed it. And he put something out explaining why it is that he vetoed it. And a big part of it was he was like, dude, we got four transgender athletes in the whole state of Utah. Four. They talk about making rules for four people. That's it. Laws. you talk about rules within whatever laws, lawmakers, people sitting in the house of the legislatures coming up with stuff like this. And it ain't got nothing to do with those people other than assaulting their dignity or trying to make it abundantly clear what you think about them. But there's not like a necessity of the issue that required that. And that's why the Title IX stuff to me becomes interesting and huge because these are people who obviously need protection and perhaps are maybe even the most vulnerable um, adults among us or them, right? I think there's no way around that. But these laws and everything else that you're seeing, even if you think there's something to it or there's a question to be asked, that ain't what them laws are about. Laws are just about subjugation of people, right? So hopefully we get to a place where we can talk about this and hopefully Title IX does something to actually provide protections for these folks but the laws that you see it are just like i don't know who you think you fooling but i can tell you who you are not fooling your boy hey this is bomani you have reached the right time voicemail say whatever you want get creative with it but this is your place to talk back to the show so talk back peace
1: I think that this topic idea for voicemails came up a couple of weeks ago where Fox was sharing his favorite story about the element and some party he went to, Mm -hmm. you know, when your friends were a little bit more about it than you were. We had a couple of good ones. Our first one comes Mm -hmm. from Andrew in Jefferson City, Missouri. Here it is.
2: One time I was with my boys, and, um, backstory all my boys are from Oakland slash San Francisco. So, you know, they're a little weird and a little strange. One of my boys, Aaron, he used to always talk about sideshows and how they used to do it in the Bay Area, show me videos and stuff like that. So, one time we go to Walmart, he had a girl he was talking to, he had her car. So, we all drive over there, and, uh, We get to the middle of the parking lot. This is in Jefferson City, Missouri. We get to the middle of the parking lot, and I say these words I regret to this day. I bet you won't do a sideshow. Next thing I know, we do one 360. We do another half a 360, and we crash into a car. I'm like, oh, my God, what just happened? He was crazy enough to do it. So now we in the parking lot, crash cars around us pretty soon. The lady comes out. More people come out. The police show up. Next thing you know, people are getting searched. They find a knife under the front seat. This ain't even our car. It's a girl's car, so it ain't nobody's knife, but it's there. We in Jefferson City, Missouri, one more time, and we four black dudes off of campus in a Walmart parking lot, Crash cars. White police are showing up, handcuffing people, Another dude from Oakland in the backseat says, if they say one word, I'm getting out and I'm flashing on the police. I said, oh my God, I got to get there. (laughs) The heck about this car, you get me back to camp. Well, some people went to jail, some people went home, and I was the one who went home, thank God. Later, both.
0: He said, if the police do one thing, I'm dumping you like, no, we not no 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 like that time i got robbed my whole boy it's a long story but uh it was the night before a wedding and my man he was the best man he had the ring and somehow it was in his pocket when we got robbed and he was like man they tried to take that ring it was gonna be a problem no the it was not gonna be no problem they just would have came up on the ring. We'd have been a K-Jeweler, or we'd have been coming up with something as a placeholder. I'd have recouped it later. Psh,
6: must be high.
1: All right, this next one comes from Gator in Chicago. We was chilling at the park
6: one day, flat football league, and one of our guys gets into a fight with his uh, baby mama's new boyfriend. And we come to the rescue, try to break it up, but they still going at it. The new boyfriend, you know, he's trying to walk away. But my homeboy, he's still trying to uh, pop it off. So his friends thought we were trying to uh, jump him, but we're trying to break it up, and we're trying to hold my man back. And in all the commotion, one of our friends, who whole dude back, injures himself, leg injury. He's like, it's burning. My leg is burning. My leg is burning. And other folks go grab my man, hurt his leg, decide to take him over to the hospital to see what's going on. The whole time, we're trying to de-escalate things to calm things down. And once we do, we find out what's going on. I was like, okay, people talking side of the net, and that's that. He's like, yeah, calm down, calm down. Later we find out, no such thing had happened. My guy was just tripping on the new boyfriend. And we're like, you had us fighting on this lie the whole time. Only for you to be like, yeah, I kind of had a little bit too much drink. And I just wanted to punch him for dating my baby mama.
0: (laughs) So he walked y'all into a fight because he was (laughs) hating? My leg is hot. That sounded to me like he got, like somebody took took a hot one. Like, this this thing has been
7: spinning through my muscle fibers.
1: This last one, the guy didn't leave his name or his location, but it's a good one to close us out. Here it is.
7: So the one time a homie of mine got a little reckless and took it a little farther than I thought it was going to go was about 12 years ago. You know, I was dating this girl. It was going well and things fell apart. And then come to find out, she was like low-key sleeping with a homie of mine. And, you know, it is what it is. But I knew where he went to school, what his fraternity was. So when I found out, I was like, oh, we're going to go see him. So we got in the car, drove there. Everything was kind of silent as we were going there. And then my boy looked over to me and was like, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to beat him up, and we're going to bounce. Little did I know we were going to, like, an actual fraternity. Lots of guys there, things like that. So we get there, and, Bo, i got to tell you, I get out of the car, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to fight this one dude. And then my homie gets out of the car with the strap. And I turned, and I looked at him, and I was like, yo, what are you doing? This ain't it. And he's like, well, you, you never know. And I was like, what? Well, I know this ain't it. Like, I'll get my ass whooped. By a bunch of frat guys. That's what it takes. But we ain't doing this. I'm going in there to talk to this man. Hopefully, slap him up a little bit and walk out. But if you go in there with that, we ain't walking out. Put it back in the car. It went as well as you can expect.
0: Can we start with the idea though that you was hating hard in the first place? Hey man, hate to, uh, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> don't be mad. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, like like that's how it goes. like you don't get to walk in being the one saying that we can handle this like we got some class and we can get off in some gangster shit. You don't get to say that no, 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 but you would have got the dude that was like, "All right, let's bounce wow, I have a lot of I have a lot of questions about. Who your friend was what fraternity we were i have so many questions about so much person without your name look me up and email me and tell me the full story i need some demographical information about this because now i'm totally fascinated but hey ladies and gentlemen Thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Gabe Bassane handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thank you to our, if you haven't heard, contributors. Thanks to Neil Payne of 538. Check out his story on the 50 years of Title IX and what it has and hasn't accomplished. Thanks to Nancy Armore of USA Today. Check out her story on the dark illusion of gender equity in Title IX. And thanks to Bianca Kilatan. Of Politico, check out her story on President Biden and others trying to make an update to Title IX before the 50th anniversary. Remember the Right Time Book Club. We are coming back next week with the Right Time Book Club. Uh, the book is King of the World by David Remnick. You can get caught up, Gabe. How far do they need to be
1: caught up to? Pretty much through the end because what we're going to do is when we wrap up with uh, David Remnick next month, we'll close out the book and do a little bit of uh, overview of things.
0: All right, cool. That'll work. So you guys have got that. King of the World by David Remnick. Check that out. Get about to the end of the book. My man Corey Urban will join us next week to talk about that. Uh, So remember, follow the right time. Rate us. Review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it
2: easy.